0: All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show.
1: I've been thinking about this activity, putting on this activity that could potentially bring people together around ideas of mission, purpose, service, but in a way that's fun, in a way that's soulful, in a way that was social but also that was not geared around drinking because 99 percent of adult activities social activities especially are geared around drinking alcohol in other words dimming your awareness numbing your wits so that you can have a good time so i'm thinking what if i create something that actually enhances your awareness it gives you more awareness gives you more clarity that puts you more in contact with other people who are also interested in that. How can that change or inspire or motivate? And I had this quote that I came across. Now we're getting back up to 2014. This quote that I came across by Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, our chief want or our chief desire is for someone to inspire us to be who we know we can be.
0: Hey there, it's Light Watkins. Welcome back to the Light Watkins show. So this week, I'm publishing my very first solo episode that is not about a book that I wrote. For long-term listeners, you remember my last solo episode was about my recent book, Knowing Where to Look, and... This is something that I ideally want to start to do more of, solo episodes. As you may have noticed, I've rebranded the podcast. It's no longer at the end of the tunnel. It's now called The Light Watkins Show. And I want to take you back to how the podcast started back in 2020 and what What's going on in the background and what the original intention of the show was and how it's evolved over the last couple of years and where I would like to see the show go in the foreseeable future. So this is a part autobiographical, it's part masterclass, and it's part manifesto. And it's something that I plan to continue to do on occasion. So you'll have to let me know what you think about These solo episodes, and if there are any specific subjects that you want me to talk about, I'm very open to suggestions. My email is light at lightwatkins.com. So please feel free to reach out to me anytime with your suggestions or feedback. Light at lightwatkins.com. In the meantime, enjoy this episode and welcome to this next phase of my podcast. The Light Watkins Show, and thank you so much for all of your support, your comments, your reviews, your reposts, your shares, and everything else you've done to support along the way.
1: Welcome to The Light Watkins Show, formerly known as At the End of the Tunnel. This is your host, Light Watkins, and I cannot believe that we have made it over a hundred episodes, a hundred episodes. And I know that in the grand scheme of podcasting, a hundred episodes is not that much, but <laughs> for a very small operation, basically a two person show, meaning myself and whoever is my assistant at the time, we've made it happen and it hasn't been easy. It has not been easy. In fact, I would say it's one of the most time consuming things that I have taken on in my life. We released our first episode in, I believe it was April of 2020. So we're just over two years now as well. And that's exciting. I want to take you guys back to the beginning though. And I want to talk to you about the inception of the podcast. I want to. Introduce myself, for those of you who don't know who I am and and why I started this podcast. And then I want to take you to the current time where we just rebranded the podcast and just talk to you about why we did that. And then I want to talk about some of the learnings that I've had as the host of this podcast since it started. In case some of you out there are thinking of starting your own podcast. So this will be my first proper solo episode. I did do one other solo episode in the summer of 2021 around the time that I released my latest book Knowing Where to Look, but that was an episode mostly about the origin story of Knowing Where to Look, but this will be a episode about the podcast itself. And this is something that I would like to start doing on a more regular basis is doing more solo episodes. And that's a part of the rebranding that's part of the the next phase of this podcast. Okay, so I'm going to take you guys way back, way, way back to 2014. 2014 was the year that I was living in Los Angeles and where I'd been living since 2002. And I was teaching meditation full-time, full-time meditation teacher. And what that means is I would meet with new groups of people every week or so for four days. And I would take them through a Vedic meditation training, V as in Victor, E-D-I-C, Vedic meditation training, which is two hours a day for four days in a row. And these are people from all walks of life, people who had never meditated a day in their life to people who were teaching meditation in their yoga classes. And I would teach them the mechanics of meditation over those four days so that by the end of the four days, they became self-sufficient meditators, meaning they were able to meditate in a way that felt enjoyable and they were self-sufficient, meaning they didn't need any guidance, they didn't need any accoutrements for meditation, no cushions, no altars, no incense, candles, salt crystals, nothing like that. They were able to meditate essentially anywhere where they could sit down comfortably and close their eyes. So I've been doing that since 2007 full-time. Prior to that, I was a yoga teacher. And prior to that, I was living in New York City and I was working in the fashion industry. I was modeling. But modeling is how I discovered yoga and yoga is what led me to meditation. So it's important to note that because When I was modeling, that was the moment where I began to explore different diets. I started dabbling in vegetarianism. I became vegan, pretty hardcore vegan. I'm not anymore, but at the time I was. And I stopped drinking alcohol. I stopped drinking alcohol. And so when you stop drinking alcohol by choice, meaning I wasn't in a part of a recovery community, I didn't have what I would consider to be an addiction. And I wasn't an excessive drinker. I would just drink occasionally. And then one, one day in my 20s, in my mid-20s, I did the math. <laughs> I did all the math. I, I looked at my life and all of the decisions I had made and every aspect of my life. And I, and I compared it and contrasted it to when I was under the influence. And I realized that being under the influence wasn't adding really any value, any real meaningful value in my life you know, it was expensive. It was watering down my awareness. I was making poor decisions. I was saying things I did not mean or did not want to create. I was doing things that would be embarrassing later when we talked about it or heard about it. I was putting myself into potentially dangerous situations. I mean, just, you know, the list can go on and on and on. But bottom line is, I realized that the investment that I was making in alcohol was at a Ponzi scheme level. I couldn't justify continuing on. And again, this is around a period of time where I was looking at everything very closely, even things like lip balm. Like, Why am I using lip balm? What happens if I stop trying to use lip balm and my lips would crack and get dry? And that became very frustrating. So I realized that I had to come off the of lip balm and that was a big challenge for me as well. In fact, I would say lip balm was more of a challenge than the alcohol than coming off the alcohol. So that's just an example of how closely I was looking at everything. So anyway, cut a long story short, I came off the alcohol and then it's you you stop socializing in the same way that you were socializing with alcohol because there's no fun really being the one Sober person in a room full of drunk people. And, you know, again, I'm in my 20s. So, what are people doing in their 20s? They're going out to clubs, bars, lounges on a fairly regular basis, parties with lots of people, loud things happening. And so, all of that just became less and less interesting as I was exploring this new world of sobriety. But it wasn't even about being sober for me, it was about being as aware. As I could possibly be. And there's this movie called Braveheart with Mel Gibson. It was one of my favorite movies when it came out. It came out the year I graduated from college. And one of my favorite scenes at the very end, right before they execute the William Wallace character that Mel Gibson plays, who's this rebel who helps to try and and free Scotland from England. Anyway, they capture him at the end through some fairly underhanded tactics. And they have him down in the dungeon and they're going to basically torture him. They're going to disembowel him and do all kinds of crazy stuff to him. And his mistress, who is the princess of the British Empire, who he had an affair with, she comes down into the dungeon and she requests private audience with him. And so the guards leave. I don't know if any of this happened in real life, but this is the scene in the movie. And then she gives him some kind of liquid, some kind of little elixir. And she says, you should take this because it will numb your pain when they start torturing you. And he he refused to take it. He refused to take it because he said, it will numb my pain, but it will also dim my wits. And of course, she insisted. So he took it. But then when she left, he spit it out. And that was a really powerful scene for me it was a really powerful moment for me because at the time I was drinking and I thought wow that's interesting you know I never looked at it that way like alcohol yeah you have fun but it also numbs your wits and why would you want to ever numb your wits why would you want to ever make yourself less aware less intuitive less insightful less clear about your mission, your motive, your agenda, your passion, your purpose, et cetera. And that always stayed with me as sort of the root motivation that I had when years later I would would start to wean myself off of the alcohol, which was a process that took me about four or six weeks. So now I'm not drinking alcohol and it's not taking any, it literally after six months, I stopped thinking about it, right? Meaning I wasn't having to use all this discipline to Go out to a restaurant and say, okay, I'm not going to order wine. I'm not going to, like, that wasn't the conversation in my head. It just didn't even occur to me any more than going outside in the middle of the meal and smoking a cigarette occurred to me. It just didn't occur to me at all. It wasn't something that I even thought about. And I was happy to drink tea or water or time cranberry juice or whatever was on offer that was non alcoholic. So my social life changed, it shifted. I started doing more of those kinds of activities. Getting into yoga, so going to yoga events, going to vegetarian themed events, doing other events that seemed more consciousness enhancing as opposed to consciousness dimming. But at the same time, I'm a, I consider myself to be a regular person, even though my name is Light. I don't consider myself to be, you know, some kind of airy fairy woo foo guy. In fact, I bill myself as the sort of meat and potatoes meditation teacher. (laughs) I'm a very skeptical person when it comes to people claiming they heard angels and saw auras and all of this kind of stuff when they meditate. I'm like, yeah, right. You know, so that's always kind of been my attitude about those kinds of things. And I don't really love being in those sorts of environments where everyone's singing Kumbaya and spiritual bypassing and having other spiritual competitions with each other to see who can be the most spiritual That's not my vibe at all. My whole vibe is being around regular people, meaning people who are very much in the world, in the real world, but they have a sense of connection that may be uncommon, or they have a sense of purpose that may be uncommon, or they may have a sense of mission that may be uncommon, as opposed to the common thing, which is, oh, people who kind of live from weekend to weekend. Thank God it's Friday. Oh my God, it's Monday. When is vacation? You know, this kind of thing. And I'm not saying anything is wrong with that. I'm just saying that's not my preference is to be with people who are more purpose driven than people who are not. And so obviously when that's your thing, there's not a whole lot of purpose driven activities out there (laughs) in the world to go and, and engage with. And I've been thinking about this activity, like putting on this activity. That could potentially bring people together around ideas of mission, purpose, service, but in a way that's fun, in a way that's soulful, in a way that was social, but also that was not geared around drinking, because 99% of adult activities, social activities especially, are geared around drinking, alcohol. In other words, dimming your awareness, numbing your wits. So that you can have a good time. So I'm thinking, well, what if I create something that that actually enhances your awareness? It gives you more awareness. gives you more clarity. that puts you more in contact with other people who are also interested in that. How can that change or inspire or motivate? And I had this quote that I came across. Now we're getting back up to 2014. This quote that I came across by Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, Our chief want or our chief desire is for someone to inspire us to be who we know we can be. So, not just our mediocre desire, but our chief desire is for someone to inspire us to be who we know we can be. And I thought about that and I thought, wow, that's really true, you know, because there are so many moments in my life. The thing that initiated me to become vegetarian, which It's another story for another day. Was someone who inspired it. And the person that taught me how to meditate, he inspired me to want to be a meditation teacher. And the reason I went to Los Angeles from New York was based on inspiration. And I could go down a list of so many things. The reason I did my first 10 day fast was based on inspiration. The reason I got into yoga was based on inspiration. And so, I'm sure you guys can relate as well. So I thought, wow, let's make the event around inspiration. And so I started kicking this idea around, obviously doing what a lot of people do, waiting for the perfect time, which never comes. The perfect time doesn't come because there's always something else to have to busy yourself with. And I had a full-time job. You know, My full-time job was teaching people how to meditate and that required a lot of attention and focus. So who's got time to start some sort of event? But I woke up one day and now I'm in my 40s and I just real had an, a realization. I said, you know what? No one is coming to give me permission to do this event. And I realized that a part of me was sort of waiting for that. A part of me was waiting for that. And and I could wrap it up in this idea of I'll get a sponsor or I'll have someone who to collaborate with who... Who wants to do it with me? Because I told it to a few people and they thought, yeah, that's nice. But nobody was really as excited or as enthusiastic about it as I was. No one could really see the vision that I saw. And all they would focus on was the logistics of what it would take to build an event like that. And I never had any delusional ideas that it was going to be easy. I just thought it needed to be done. And there has to be other people out there like me who also crave consciousness expanding activities as opposed to consciousness dimming activities. And once I build it, they will come just like that movie, Field of Dreams, with Kevin Costner, back when I was growing up. They built this baseball park in the middle of the cornfield and all these iconic baseball characters (laughs) showed up. So I I was kind of inspired by that. I was kind of inspired by the Ralph Waldo Emerson quote. So I decided, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And again, at the time I'm teaching meditation. I had this one meditation student named Lisa who reached out to me. I think it was either that day or the next day. And she said, she said, light, I want to be more involved in the meditation community. And I just wanted to let you know that I'm willing to volunteer my time If you have any ideas or any kind of, any things you want to do, let me know. (laughs) Right. And I said, as a matter of fact, Lisa, (laughs) I've got this idea for this event, putting together this event that would inspire people. And I told her my elevator pitch for the idea. And she said, cool, I'm down, I'm game for that. And then the next step was I went to look for space. Something modest, right? And I'm living in Los Angeles. So I'm driving around looking for spaces, and I eventually find this dance studio. It was like a children's ballet studio in West Los Angeles. And so it was only $50 to rent for, I think, two hours. And so we had a space. And then I sent out an email to my list. I think I had about a thousand something maybe a couple thousand people on my mailing list at the time. So I sent an email out letting people know that I'm throwing this event. And I still don't have a name for the event. I think I'm just calling it an inspirational event or something like that. And I don't get a, a huge response, let's put it that way. Because it was a free event, so I wasn't charging anything for people to come. All they had to do was just show up. And I was going to lead a meditation. I was going to give a little talk kind of like a little mini Ted talk. And then we were going to have some tea and talk and mingle. And I was just like, it was literally, you know, kitchen sink approaches, throwing as much stuff as I could at the wall to see what people would be into. And that was it. The event would be like an hour, hour 15. So between the time that I sent the email out and the event happened, I'm sitting at my table one day it's my birthday and i'm thinking of the name lisa and i were going back and forth with like what should we call this thing the blueprint i forget what the other names were but then the name the shine just hit me the shine it was almost like i don't know it definitely wasn't my idea it was like i was playing catch with a quarterback and they just threw they threw the idea and i caught it i caught the idea And I was like, that's it. That's it. It's the shine. The shine. That's what it's supposed to be called. The shine.
0: Hey there, really quickly. Have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice, but you're not quite sure where to begin? Well, if inner work is like a drop of water, the HappinessInsiders.com is like your ocean. That's my online community where you can learn real-world techniques for cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day, I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork. And you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, you'll get community, you'll get accountability directly from me, and you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, you'll receive 30% off of the all-access pass if you go to thehappinessinsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, thehappinessinsiders.com Enter the promo code HAPPY, and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all-access pass, which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses, such as my 108-day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's the thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is HAPPY. All right, back to the episode.
1: Because I had a friend, I had another, this is all just coming back to me as I'm telling the story. I had another friend, Preston Smiles, who was a part of this other movement, which they call the Love Mob, the Love Mob. And I love the idea of having the in the name, in the title of the movement. So I was already thinking the something. And so when the name The Shine came and I caught it. I was like that. I just knew right away. That's it. I called Lisa said, it's called the shine and she was into it. And so I created some posts, some flyers with the shine written on them. Cause I've got a little bit of a background in graphic design. So I like to dabble in that from time to time. And I made these little posters and I brought them out to the dance studio and I taped them up on the glass window. And so that was the first shine. We had about 10 people, 12 people show up. I think one of them came from my list, but that one who came from my list invited eight of her friends. And so they all came, they biked there together. And at the time it was a weekly event and people seemed to enjoy it. I made this honey lemon ginger tea because when I would go to India, which I had been to a few times at that point, one of the delicacies there was honey lemon ginger tea. And I just loved that tea. I would make it from scratch with real ginger, real lemon, raw honey. And so I made some honey, lemon, ginger tea, put it in one of those thermos things with a pump on it and brought it. And so we had tea. We had those little Indian shot glasses or what they call a chai tea glasses. And we had the tea. Oh, and then we also had a question of the night. So when people would come in, we would ask them a hypothetical question because one of my things that I really love to do is ask people hypothetical questions. All my friends know that I love asking hypothetical questions. And so the question would be something like, who is your hero? Or if money didn't matter, what would you do for a living? You know, things like that. Fun questions, but also icebreakers. Because one of the things that I hate, honestly... And I've always hated this as an adult and maybe even as a a young person as well, is going into a room where you don't know anybody and everyone's just kind of standing around. And then it's like if you're an introvert or if you're just uncomfortable or have social anxiety, it's hard to go up to people. So this was a natural sort of icebreaker because you didn't write your name down on the name tag. You wrote your answer down to the hypothetical question. So if the question is, who's your hero? And it can't, uh, outside of a family member, who's your hero? And somebody wrote down Gandhi, somebody else wrote down Martin Luther King. If you see someone else who has Martin Luther King across the, the way, and you wrote down Martin Luther King, it's like, oh, wow, you're Martin Luther King too. Tell me, you know, your story. So that became a really cool little innovation pretty much from the onset. And people would come in and they would just start talking to each other exactly in the way that I envisioned and then we came in and and then we started the event after the socializing. So anyways, this went on week after week. We get maybe two or three more people coming to the events. I started inviting other people to come and give talks. Just friends of mine, people who did anything interesting. There was a woman who she facilitated death dinners. So people would come together, have dinner and then she would talk about getting your will in order, she would talk about all the uncomfortable conversations that people typically don't have before someone that they care about dies. And then they have to scramble around to last minute to find all this stuff and realizing that they didn't, they never got a will. They never had a a attorney. So it ends up creating all this complication. And and I just wanted anything that was unique and interesting to me. And I figured if it's interesting to me, it'll be interesting to someone else. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I had my one of my salsa teachers come in and lead us in a salsa routine, you know, little things like that, just trying a bunch of stuff while it was nice and small. And then one event, maybe a month or two after we started, I said, you know, I'm spending $50 every time. Actually, Lisa said, you know, we should start taking up a collection to pay for the space. And so at the end of that particular event, we took up a little collection. We said, hey guys, on your way out, can you drop some money or whatever in the, in the bucket so that we can help to keep this thing going. And we may have collected, I don't know, $25. And there was probably 20 people in the room (laughs) in Los Angeles. And we got like $25, maybe $30, something like that. And so that night, I'm thinking about this $30 that we collected. And I thought to myself, I said, you know what? First of all, I'm making plenty of money in my normal job. So I don't need the money to pay for the space, right? This is kind of like a service thing for me anyway. But I thought... I could theoretically take the $30 and I could reimburse myself for all the expenses. I said, or I could give somebody who comes to the next event, the $30 that we collected at the previous event. And I could task them with the mission to go out into the world and do something good with it. And I know you may be asking yourself, how much good can you do with $30? You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. That's what I did. I called Lisa up. I said, Lisa, I've got a great idea. We should give the money away to someone in the next event and let them go out and spend it and then come back and report whatever they did with it. So the next event came and we told the people who came what we were going to do. And they were all excited. Then we took up another collection. We collected about $150 that night out of, again, about 20 people. So the collection went up when people saw that it was going to be used for philanthropic or altruistic purposes. And I was like, Oh, wow, that's really interesting. This is really interesting. This is it. And so that became a key part of the event, which we started calling the shine on challenge. In other words, it's a challenge in that you have to, Figure out something to do to help people. You have to get out of your own little world for a moment and you have to pass it on. You have to pass it forward. So that's what people were contributing to. And we heard all kinds of, you know, one guy used the money to fund a scholarship for kids to attend a music program in the summer camp. Someone else purchased some share rides for people who had been assaulted, sexually assaulted, you know, just all kinds of things across the board. We we basically said, do whatever you feel the world needs. In other words, our mission was to be the change you want to see. And so we were empowering people to do that in their own world. And we also would say, obviously, you know, you don't have to win the shine on challenge to do good in the world. You can just pretend like you won the shine on challenge, use a hundred dollars, 150 bucks that you have, and go home and do something with it or tell your family or your kids. Hey, I won this money. We have to do something good with it. What do you guys think we should do? So anyway, I I consider that to be the pivotal moment that really got people to become more invested in the event and enthusiastic around what we were doing. And the event went from 20 people to 300, 400 people within within a year. And it became a movement. We called it the Shine Movement. We had a team. There was, at one point, maybe a dozen people on the team. We were all volunteer, myself included. We never really got sponsorship. People would just, we started charging for the events. I think it were $30 for the events. We had food. It became a whole thing, a whole thing. We had some pretty big name speakers and meditation leaders and comedians and improv and authors coming and speaking. And we started, it it became, I wanted it to become like a Ted talk basically. So we started recording, we started videotaping them. They were happening in New York and in LA and in London and went on like this on a monthly basis for about five years from 2014 until 2019 or so. And then we started to explore ways to create independent versions of the shine to allow other people to do it on their own. And then I went nomadic. Obviously, the pandemic happened. So for a variety of reasons, we just put it on pause indefinitely. But anyway, that was something that i had spent a very, very significant amount of time doing, creating inspirational content. And I realized that that's the thing that even though it was hard, it was very challenging, honestly. And and, and before every event, I would want to give up. I'd want to stop. (laughs) because it was just too hard. I wasn't making any money off of it. It was taking too much time out of my other income-producing tasks. But then when the event would come around, it would be so amazing and so fulfilling, and you'd be on such a high, because I would host the event as well. And then afterwards, in between that event and the next event, the grind would start again of producing the event. So then I want to quit again because I feel like people weren't as enthusiastic about it as I was. and I'm having to do too much, and blah, blah, blah. But that's how these movements happen. And I became really obsessed with the idea of movements. And so cut to a year later, now we're in the pandemic. And I've been thinking about, well, actually before the pandemic started, in late 2019, I've been thinking about this podcast idea. And I wanted to do a podcast. and. The name at the end of the tunnel came to me at the end of the tunnel, <laughs> which has connotations of death, obviously the light at the end of the tunnel, but also it's a kind of play on my name light, but my inspiration, my source inspiration was again, that same Rob Waldo Emerson quote, our chief one is someone to inspire us to be what we know we can be. And also I've been listening to how I built this with Guy Raz I was a pretty regular listener to that podcast. And how I built this is all about entrepreneurs who started businesses from scratch. And I I just found it really fascinating to hear their journey and to see the overlap in their individual journeys and how difficult it was and how uncertain they were. And, And I could contrast that with my experience as well except where his show would always go is in profit, right? How did you make your first million? And how did you feel when you made all this money and da, 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 which wasn't all that interesting to me personally. But as a meditation teacher, as someone who was involved in the shine movement, I was all about fulfillment. So for me, wealth is being fulfilled. Wealth is is having a sense of happiness inside, a sense of self-actualization so much so that you're not willing to dim that for any reason with substances, especially. And it's not a judgment. It's just, that's, I feel like if you're in that place, the idea to take yourself out of that place doesn't even occur to you. And I think that's what true fulfillment actually feels like. And that was, that's the experience I've been having for years at that point. So I wanted at the end of the tunnel to be like how I built this, But for movements, for social good, for people who've become the change they want to see in the world. And instead of celebrating how much they've made, I want to celebrate how fulfilled they feel because they started down that path of their purpose and their mission. So that was why I would interview people in the way that I would interview them, starting really early in childhood. Because one of my suspicions, and this is again from my own experience, even though we didn't talk about my childhood, but I feel like people are born with the sort of acorn version of their mission. And it shows up in various ways in childhood with the things that they're curious about, the things that they play with, the toys they play with, meaning, and whatever direction they find themselves going in life ultimately cascades into their passion and purpose. But usually there's a period where they go through this sort of conventional life where they're trying to fit a square into a circle and it just doesn't work. And they have to do something different. They have to try something different and they either become a victim of their circumstance or they decide, you know what, I'm not going to subject myself to this anymore. I'm going to try something else. And usually that's the moment where they become aware that what they want and what society wants for them are different things. And they have to make that choice for themselves, just like I did with my shine movement, when I realized that permission was not coming. And I would have to just do this myself. And there was no certainty that it was going to grow into the size that it grew into, or that people were going to come or people were going to be interested in it. I just went on the fact that I was interested in it. And the idea didn't go away. And that's one of the telltale signs that That idea is purposeful for you is that it doesn't go away. You can't sleep it away. You can't drink it away. You can't do anything to to make it go away except for execute on it. It's the only way it goes away. I mean, I wake up now. I don't think about the shine at all (laughs) because I've executed. I did it. I fulfilled that desire for five years. And so, you know, when it was time to move on from it, I was able to rest peacefully as a result of it. And for all we know, the cosmic contract was only for five years to to fulfill that that event. So, yeah, I wanted to share those stories. Having gone through the process myself, I felt like I, I knew it so intimately that I could ask questions that most other podcasters wouldn't even think to ask related to someone who achieves their mission or who's in the process of achieving their mission. And so that was going to be my special lane at the end of the tunnel. And so, yeah, the at the end of the tunnel part is that the light that everyone thinks is at the end of the tunnel is actually in you. And when you start moving down your path, that's where your light shines the brightest. And then you become the inspiration for other people to do the same. So you're sort of like the light at the end of their tunnel. They start moving down in the direction of their path, which is full of uncertainty and darkness. They become a light to other people. And so that's how we inspire one another. We inspire one another with our light, but then they become their best version of themselves and they become the light. And so that's what at the end of the tunnel originally meant. And I remember I did my first episode just from my phone in November of 2019 when I was in London. I happened to be in London teaching and I had a friend who invited me onto her podcast and it was episode one of her podcast. Her name is Emma Maynou. You may remember her. I think she was on episode two of my podcast. So we we did her interview and then I said, you know what? I'm thinking of starting a podcast myself. Would you mind being the first guest on my podcast? And she agreed. And again, I didn't have the format or anything. I just started asking her questions and I started in childhood and then we started working our way up. And I kind of loosely knew her story, but I didn't know it in great detail because she had... the thing is when people have not written a book about whatever they've been through, it's hard to find anything online about the details of one story. You may find some highlights, you know, that they may have mentioned in some interviews, but you haven't found the details. And I love, I love the details. I really do feel like the real story is in the details because the motivation about why you do the things that you do, those are all in those little what would seemingly be throwaway moments, but I think they're very telling. So those are the kinds of questions that I like to focus on. So I had her interview in the can from November 2019. And I was like, okay, I'm going to start this thing. At the time, I didn't have any branding. I didn't have any art. I had the name of it, but that was pretty much it. I didn't know how to start a podcast. The microphones that we used were just video microphones because it was actually a video podcast that I shot with my tripod. And I I was nomadic at the time. I was living from a backpack. So I was carrying all the stuff around with me. I did not have a proper microphone and i just had i just had the conversation and then the pandemic hit and i found myself in an airbnb in atlanta because my family lives in atlanta so i ended up spending a significant amount of time in atlanta and it was great i mean i was one of those people in the in the pandemic when it first started i was like oh my god this is amazing <laughs> because I have all this extra time on my hands to get caught up on doing some of the things that I've been envisioning for a long time. And one of those things was starting my podcast. And so I was working with an assistant at the time and she was able to kind of help me build out some of the branding. So we created the art. I designed the original art and it went through a lot of iterations to get to that design. But again, it's one of those things where I knew it when I saw it. I was like, that's it. That's, that's the design. And that's been a common theme throughout my life. Like, If there's any doubt, if there's any question, if you have to talk yourself into any aspect of whatever it is, the title, the branding, then that's not it. You're not there yet. When you get there, you will know this is it. And it won't be any question. Even if other people don't like it, it doesn't matter. That's how you know that you've arrived at the right. Thing, and and also at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, it doesn't have to be the right thing forever. It feels right now, and that's all that's important. As long as it feels right in the moment, then that's the direction we're going to go in. And this is something that I think you have to really trust within yourself because things change. Everything changes. I mean, we're sitting here on this podcast right now talking about the story of how the podcast changed and how the shine movement evolved and how I went from drinking to not drinking. Like it's all change. And so fortunately, I was in a place to embrace that change because that makes you a person of action. If you're stuck on the perfect idea, right, you're never going to start because you're never going to arrive at perfection. So what I'm describing here is not perfection. I'm not saying this is the perfect Design for the podcast. I'm saying this is the right design. This is the right design. Maybe some other designer, maybe some famous designer could have designed something even better, but this was the right one to get started in the moment. And look, there is no perfection, right? Because everything evolves, everything iterates. And it's not surprising. The biggest change that I never saw coming was when I was a hardcore vegan for, I don't know, 12 years, I never in a million years imagined that I would start eating a non-exclusive plant-based diet again. And yet here we are today and I'm eating very much a non-exclusive plant-based diet. I eat plants. I love plants, but I don't only eat plants. So if you would have told me that this day was coming back in the middle of my hardcore vegan days, I would have thought you were insane. There's no way I would have ever thought I would go back to eating meat. So when that happened, I thought, okay, well, hell, anything is possible. You can't bank on anything staying the same forever. It's just not possible. It's not going to happen. So I just started with what I felt was right. And we had, I think, three or four episodes in the can at this point. I finally broken down and gotten a proper mic and uh, we were doing everything remotely, which was great. Because the pandemic, it normalized having remote conversations, whereas before that, and that's one of the reasons why when I interviewed with Emma, it was in person, because that's what all the interviews, all the interviews were in-person interviews at the time. So if you did something remote, nobody even knew about Zoom for the most part. If you did something remote, it would have been on Skype and it would look kind of cheesy because the resolution wasn't that great and it wouldn't be the... Putting your best foot forward. And I think that stopped probably a lot of people from starting a podcast prior to the pandemic. But during the pandemic, everyone was going to Zoom, everyone was doing remote interviews. So it normalized it. And then it was nothing to ask someone. In fact, it was easier to ask someone to come on and do a podcast interview during the pandemic because A, their schedule probably freed up a little bit. And B, they were sitting at home not doing anything. And C, having Zoom interviews had been normalized. So it was perfect. It was perfect. So I just started calling up all my friends and reaching out to people who had had speak at the shine. A lot of the first guests, in fact, I would say with the exception of Emma and maybe one or two others, a lot of those first guests spoke at the shine. So because I had taken that leap of faith, I already had connections and a network of quality people who had all started movements, because that's those are the people I would invite to speak at The Shine, people who had started movements. And I kind of already knew their stories. And so I had them come on to the podcast and share the story, but in much greater detail, because at The Shine, the talks would only last for 20 minutes. But on the podcast, it's long form, so you can go, you know, two hours you wanted to. And some of my interviews were two hours, some were three hours. <laughs> but again, I'm finding my style. I'm finding my voice as a podcast host during those earlier interviews. I'm finding my format, like which questions do I ask in the beginning? Which questions do I ask at the end, et cetera. And I'm getting my guy Raz on, right? I loved his interview style. I loved how he would just let the the guests talk. And so I, I wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to let my guests just speak. I didn't want to keep interrupting them and asking them questions like some podcast hosts sometimes do. And one of the things that I noticed from interviewing people who discovered their mission that made me even more inspired because I would have theorized about this, but after interviewing dozens and dozens and dozens of people who've done all kinds of different missions under the sun, you know, you start to see themes, you start to see patterns, Mm -hmm. And one of them was that almost everyone, without exception, came from humble beginnings, meaning they didn't have some grand blueprint or idea. They would just start usually as a party of one or uh solo ventures. And then it was kind of it was almost exactly like what happened with me and the shine, where they had been sitting on the idea for a while and then something compels them to just get started. Maybe it was someone that they they knew who inspired them or something they read or, or may it come from a place of pain and they really had no choice but to get started. And so they made a choice. They made a very conscious, deliberate choice. I'm going to do something different. Right. No one's going to give me permission. I'm going to do something different. And so they decided one day, I call it the Rosa Parks moment. Right. You know, Rosa Parks was the seamstress whose defiance on the Montgomery bus, city bus in 1955 was the act that initiated the modern civil rights movement. She refused to give up her seat to a white man when the bus driver demanded that she get up because the whites only section was full. And so she was sitting in the first row of the blacks only section, colored section. There were three other riders, black riders sitting in that row with her and the bus driver saw three white men standing up And he told all of the black riders in the first row to get up and let the white men sit down. So three of the black riders, three of the four black riders got up. Rosa Parks refused. And the bus driver says, basically, you don't want to do this. You're going to make things really difficult for yourself if you stay in that seat. And she just said, enough is enough. I can't submit myself to this racist treatment any longer. So they arrested her and they used her arrest as inspiration to start this movement, to come together and create these different organizations, the Montgomery Improvement Association, et cetera, et cetera. And so she's known as sort of the mother of the civil rights movement because of her act of defiance. And everybody who I've interviewed has that Rosa Parks moment, that moment of defiance where they decide, I just can't take the status quo any longer. I just can't do it any longer. I can't do this. I have to do something different. And they start going down a different path. And it's that moment, usually it's that moment that people want to talk about almost forever, right? When they become a noteworthy person because they started this movement and they tell their story, usually every interview goes to that moment, (laughs) which usually you know it's that moment it's just an ordinary day woke up on an ordinary day tuesday wednesday something like that going through the ordinary routine status quo but then there's a point in which they decide i'm not going to do things in the same way and then they become what david goggin's calls uncommon in that moment they decide i'm going to become uncommon i'm not going to do the normal thing and that's what starts them down in that trajectory but everything kind of if you track it back Their story, it comes back to that moment, that pivotal moment. And this is something that I like to to really highlight, not the moment itself, but what happened just before you had your Rosa Parks moment, right? Why that day? Why that day did you decide I'm not going to give up my seat? And in Rosa Parks' story, there is a backstory to why that day she decided not to, to give up her seat. In fact, this is something that had been discussed amongst. I forget which organization it was, but she was a part of either the NAACP or some other organization that had been set up locally where they had been wanting to stage a boycott. And they were looking for the right person and the right situation because some other people had gotten arrested and they decided that there wasn't the right situation. So again, going back to this theme of what's right. And so when Rosa Parks got arrested, she had a spotless record. She'd never been in any trouble in her whole life. And they said, you know what, this is the right time, right person. Right situation. Let's go. Let's go. And that's how they started it. So we can't ignore that. We can't ignore that sense of rightness in our life if we identify that something is the right time, but it's not convenient. Now, Rosa Parks, it wasn't convenient for her to sit in that bus seat in Montgomery, Alabama, which is the cradle of the Confederacy, right? All kinds of lynchings, all kinds of crazy stuff happened down there during that time and even beyond that time. So she was putting herself in a life-threatening situation by her act of defiance. So what I like about that example is that there is no perfect time. There's the right time, but there's not the perfect time. And if we're waiting for the perfect time, we're going to miss the right time window, which obviously we don't want to do. So we have to get very good at identifying the right time. Now, Rosa Parks was inebriated on the bus, she may not have noticed that, okay, this is the right time. She had been drinking if she was under the influence. She may not have been able to say this was the right time to stay in my seat. And that's what I keep coming back to with this whole idea about alcohol. It's not adding value to our purpose, our mission. There's not one person I've interviewed who said, you know what, when I started drinking more, I became more mission focused. (laughs) that has never come up as a part of anyone's backstory. If anything, I could probably interview a million people out there, you know, in the world who would say that they became less mission focused when they started drinking and using substances and stuff like that. So they made that choice and it was through their courage to be a solo operation and to not give up and to go through their dark tunnel moment that they were able to turn their light on and become the inspiration for other people. So that's great. And as a podcast, and I'm seeing this with how I built this now, right? So when you look at how I built this now versus when it first started, and this is not a knock on how I built this, but he's now interviewing people who started companies i never heard of before. I'm sure they're big companies, but in the beginning, he was, he was interviewing people who started businesses that everybody's heard of before. But that kind of limits the amount of people that you can interview because people only start a mission usually once in their life. And once you interview them, you go all through the details of their backstory, then there's no point in bringing them back on. And one of the joys of having a podcast is being able to have interesting conversations, right? And so my way of looking at it is that if I'm interested in talking to someone, whether it's about their childhood or about how they came up with their mission or it could be about whatever they're currently passionate about. That may be an extension of their mission. Maybe it's a different kind of mission, right? But I don't want to go back and cover terrain that we've already covered in a previous episode. And I kind of suspected that this day was going to come, as I said before, because I want to bring guests back onto the podcast that I've interviewed that have released a book or they've you know, started some other kind of thing. But it would not have been in alignment with the original mission of just talking about the backstory of people who started their social good platform. And also, I want to do more solo episodes where we're just talking about the anatomy of movements or we're talking about the anatomy of purpose or, you know, these kinds of topics that I'm really, really passionate about. And I'm now putting a lot of content out on social media and in my own happiness insiders community related to these themes and these topics. Cause I just, I find them so fascinating that I just can't stop talking about them. And I feel like it's something that we all need to hear more and more of myself included. I'm over here getting high on my own supply. I'll go back and listen to my own stuff because <laughs> I need motivation. I need the inspiration for myself because there's just not enough of it out there in the world that is very much focused around profit and scaling and crypto and and all that is wonderful and it's great i'm not knocking it either i'm just saying i wish we lived in a world that was as focused on mission and purpose and finding fulfillment inside of ourselves and becoming the inspiration that we ultimately want to see and the change that we ultimately want to see and so that's my mission is to get as many people as possible moving even if it's in a tortoise Speed towards their purpose because I know that it's you know everybody is not fortunate enough to be in a situation where they have the support and the resources to take a bunch of leaps of faith right now and that's fine. I did a post recently. I said, "Look, we don't need to be extremists. We want to become baby stepists." <laughs> extreme people do extreme things, which is not for everyone. Baby step we do baby steps. That's our thing. We take baby steps. And if we can get into a place where we're able to consistently baby step our way in the direction of our purpose, our life will be completely unrecognizable within a year from now. So I want I want to encourage people by just telling my own truth, my own story and getting to the
0: truth of of my guests stories. I want to show that, look, this person They have this amazing thing that they started, but it didn't start like that. It started as a baby step. It started as a series of baby steps, right? And I could
1: go into detail about it, but I want to keep this under a certain amount of time, but we'll do that in future solo episodes where we'll go through and we'll dissect different aspects of movements. But when you look at these really closely and when you listen really closely to these interviews on this podcast, no one's done anything particularly extreme. It's always just consistent nudges, thin edge of the wedge, moving in a certain direction, uh, hopping. I call them the hops of faith as opposed to the leaps of faith. And next thing they know, they find themselves kind of fully immersed in this new direction without even actually saying to themselves in an intentional way, I'm going to change my life. It's just I'm just going to keep moving in this direction and we're going to see what happens. And then whatever they're working on ends up inspiring other people to start down the same path. So I'm just one of hopefully millions of people who are doing the same thing. And I want you all as listeners to be that person in your circle of influence as well. So that's my mission is to help you find your way to your purpose and your path by listening to these other stories. And so the new branding of the podcast, The Light Watkins Show, gives me a little bit more leeway to bring on people and to discuss topics that may not necessarily be directly related to a movement, but it's something that I personally find inspiring or that's something I'm personally curious about, right? And that's really my only criteria for interviewing people these days is, am I curious about them? And usually when you do the deeper research. You find all kinds of interesting motivations that are, to me personally, fascinating. And I'm trusting that the things that I'm fascinated about, somebody else out there is going to be fascinated about. And as this podcast continues to grow and gain traction, it's going to become what it, whatever it's going to become. It's just like with the shine movement that I started. I, I didn't know that that philanthropic shine on challenge thing was going to Was going to become a part of it that was going to really cause it to have a sort of hockey stick shaped growth. And you don't know, maybe something will happen with this podcast that hasn't happened yet that I will get inspired to do, or maybe a guest will suggest and it will cause it to go in a different direction. I don't know. But I know that the most important thing is starting and then identifying what feels right. And then taking action on what feels right, not perfect, but what feels right. And just trusting that what happens next is what's supposed to happen. And if we can keep doing that in all aspects of our life, I think we'll end up in some pretty amazing places and have some amazing adventures along the way. All right. So... That's my solo episode for today. If you have not yet left a review for the podcast, I know that's something that a lot of podcasters talk about, leaving a review, but it is one small way that you can help to support the mission by just leaving a review. All you do is you click on the name of the show, the Light Watkins show on your Apple podcast podcast app, which you may be listening to this from, I think something like 60 to 70% of the listeners listen to it from that app. So, there's a good chance that you're listening to it from that app right now on your device. Just look at the screen, click on the name of the show. It'll take you to the past episodes. You scroll down past seven or eight of the past episodes, you'll see the five blank stars. Click the star all the way on the right, and you've left a rating. And if you want to go the extra mile and write a couple of lines about what you personally like about this podcast then you can do that and you will have left the review and otherwise i'll see you back here next week with another interview <laughs> with the light watkins show all right enjoy
0: thank you again for tuning in to my first solo episode you can find a link to the transcript in the show notes which is at lightwatkinscom slash show and if this is your first time listening to the podcast, you can also hear interviews with my guests about every kind of subject matter under the sun at lightwatkins.com slash show. You can also see a drop down menu where you can search the past episodes by subject matter. So if you want to hear more stories about people who've taken leaps of faith or people who've overcome financial struggles or people who've navigated health challenges, you can get a list of all of those episodes at lightwatkins.com slash show. Also, you can now watch these podcast interviews, including the solo episodes on YouTube, I post every episode on my YouTube channel, which you can find by searching Light Watkins Podcast. And finally, I post the raw, unedited version of each episode in my Happiness Insiders online community. So if you're the type that likes to hear all of the mistakes, the false starts, and the chit chat with guests in the beginning at the end of every episode. You can listen to those by joining my online community at thehappinessinsiders.com. Not only will you have access to the unedited versions of the podcast, but you'll also have access to my 108-day meditation challenge. There's a 108-day movement challenge, and there's a bunch of master classes that you can take that will help you to cultivate more happiness inside, which is why it's called the Happiness Insider's. One way to support the show is to leave a rating or review for the podcast. If you haven't done so already, you can do it really quickly by just glancing down at your device and look for the Apple podcast app screen, go to the name of the podcast, click on that scroll down past, I don't know, five or six previous episodes, you should see a section with five blank stars. Just tap the star all the way on the right and you've left a rating. Thank you very much for that. And otherwise, I look forward to hopefully seeing you back here next week with another story, another interview with someone just like you, just like me, taking a leap of faith in the direction of their purpose. And until then, keep trusting your intuition, keep following your heart, keep taking those leaps of faith, And if no one's told you recently that they believe in you, I believe in you. Thank you and have a great day. If you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote That's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.